just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot, the first and only podcast dedicated solely to New Jersey college basketball. I'm Jerry Carino. This is my 21st year covering college hoops in the Garden State. With me, as always, my longtime colleague and our resident mid-major expert, Steve Edelson. And to start off today, we have a special guest. We wondered all offseason who would play center for Seton Hall and how would they fare? Well, now we know. It's Jaden Bediaco, a graduate transfer from Santa Clara, which is a winning program under a highly accomplished coach in Herb Sendek. Jaden earned a bachelor's degree in communications and with a, with a minor in classics, and we'll get to that in a bit, and he's taking grad classes in business at the Hall. How is Jaden faring? I would say, well, Seton Hall's 4-0, heading into Feast Week with a couple of big tests coming, and Jaden seems to be right at home. Jaden. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me here. All right. I got to start off by asking you, how do you wind up going from Santa Clara and the San Francisco Bay Area to Seton Hall? Uh, well, I think the simple answer is obviously through the transfer portal. Um, just um, why change the scenery, something new. And, you know, all those who played during COVID, though, was blessed to have a fifth year. So um, took that chance. Got on the portal and recruiting started. And then, you know, little me, Seton Hall comes calling in. And oh. I got to ask you, something comes to mind. Like, how much better is the food here from San Francisco, especially the pizza? Okay. To hold you on that day, the pizza is way better here. Food in general, I think, overall here is better uh, in California. And it's more diverse here, too. So, yeah, it's better overall, but yeah, you know, you start you start with pizza. When I first came here, I had one slice of pizza. I'm like, oh my god, I can see why they're talking about this New York style, New Jersey pizza on the East Coast. All right, well done, thank you. Our audience will love that, and of course, we know it's true. And then I want to ask you one more question about you coming here, and that is Tyrese Samuel. How do you know Tyrese? And I'm told, I think you had mentioned to me earlier that he had a word to say to you about coming here when you were thinking about playing for Holloway at the Hall. How did that go? What did he say? Sure. Um, well, I knew I knew Tyrese since uh, our AU days. He put on we put on the same AU team together, played on the team can together. Uh, I think we played under 18 and under 19 together. So and I kind of followed Tyrese's um career at Seton Hall and obviously he went to prep school in Canada too. So I know Tyrese pretty well. It's you know and he had a great time here actually. Um what he told me was, you know, like they need a big, you know, you're gonna have opportunity here. You just if you just work like honestly, like there's Sky's the limit for you here, and they're good people. And that's part of what I was looking for in the program, too. You know, just good people, good coaches. So he had nothing but positive things to say. Jaden, what is it like playing for Shaheen Holloway, you know, after four years with Herb Sendik? What what has it been like for you? Any differences between them? Well, yeah. Um, Holloway, Coach Holloway is obviously younger than Sendik. So, you know, he brings that more fiery passion and 
you know, he wants Christ to be more energetic um, and just to be a grind, um, you know. So they're, the one thing they do have in common, though, is they both, are, they both are teachers. So they both teach on the fly, which is cool. And similarities to some of the stuff we run, it's so, it attributes to some of the four things I did at Santa Clara, which kind of helped me. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I kind of know how this works. We did the Santa, Santa Clara. Um, two different play styles, though. Um, I did feel like at Santa Clara we played a bit faster. But I uh, hear, um, obviously, another thing Tyrese told me, too, and the coaches always harp on this, like, they led the Big East in defense last year. You know, I always came from a good offensive program. Our defense was also good, too, at Santa Clara. But here, obviously, the Big East, though, like, you know, seeing how it happened on one defense last year, that says a lot, like, you know, and he's very defensive-minded. So, Jaden, Shaw has said to me, I think he said to the reporters earlier this season that uh, there's a difference between – East Coast basketball and West Coast basketball that you were learning, how would you explain the difference? Fouls. Um, <laughs> yeah, fouls. For example, like, I remember I was younger, too. I used to read articles. And, you know, when I, went, when I was playing in the West Coast, you know, I used to get in foul trouble out there. And I was, like, wondering, like, why do they blow the whistle so much over here? And there's a whole article, actually, on that. Like, I forgot what it really said, but. It wasn't anything like too analytical, just like for some reason, like everyone admits that when you go out west, though, they're blowing the whistle more than out east. Um, different brand of basketball. Um, West Coast teams, I feel like they like to play up and down. They try to play with pace. They try to go up and down a lot. You know, we did that a lot. Santa Clara, Gonzaga played them for four years. They love to go up and down. Um, the slowest team in our league when I was there was probably St. Mary's. But out east, though, I feel like everyone plays more half court. Um, we try and muck the game up and stuff. It's more physical here, and the rest lets you play. So, um, but I played I played East Coast basketball through my AU career, um, high school career. We played American teams on along this coast. So, you know, I think just trying to get back into the swing of things because I was there in California for four years. But um, they're two great brands of basketball, though. And um, yeah, I'm learning. I think I'm catching on. You know, I think I'm doing a good job. So. Looks like it for sure. <laughs> hey, Jane, was there like kind of a Welcome to New Jersey or welcome to the Big East moment for you where, you know, it kind of all sank in. Um, You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that hasn't happened yet. I think that will probably happen these next couple games or even Big East play. So um, nothing yet, though. But I think if it's either I have to get dunked on or I get thrown on the floor or, I don't know, something just to say, hey, this is the Big East. I'm like, oh, wow, this is this ain't something, something I'm used to or, oh, welcome to my moment. So, Hey, answer the question, though. No, nothing, not yet. Nothing else. All right, we'll be sure to we'll be sure to follow up with you on that later uh, as the season progresses. What's it like to be a big man on the receiving end of a Kadari Richmond pass? It's good. I mean, you know, I am um, always um have been blessed to play with like great point guards, and Kadari is one of them. Though, you know, just being that receiving end, he just puts you in the right places. Though, you know, you might not even know you're like you're getting the ball, and oh, it's in my hand. Like, oh wow, two points. So. You know that's he's a great player here. He'll probably he'll he'll play the next level, and um, it's just great. You know, I think where you can see how big guys have success sometimes in college basketball. You know, it always attributes to a great guard or a good guard you know, that's able to handle the pressure, throw them the rock inside, or you know, help the team. And um, you know, you can see that with like some of the best bigs in the country and in the high major league. So guard play is very crucial, and it's great to play with a guy like Kadari. What was it like growing up with your brother Charles and playing and kind of battling in games and stuff like that to, you know, get better? Yeah, uh, I love my siblings. I was I was have a sister too. She plays at G Tech. 
Uh, but me and Charles were like, oh, it's the two boys. So, um, yeah, it was cool. We, um, I won most of those battles, though. So I don't know if you guys ever talked to him and he mentions, like, oh, I think I won. He doesn't even know when he won, though. So, <laughs> duly noted. <laughs> Note that, yeah. He did, so, yes, he does not know when he's won, but um, it's been good, you know. We, we kind of pick each other's game, you know. We play two different styles, you know. Charles is more of the, I think we all saw it at Alabama, you know, rim protector, lob threat. He kind of played, he, I think he just had a double double in the G League with the Spurs. And he got called, he got called back up. So, um, I've been able to pick up with that because, you know, now I'm playing other athletic dudes and stuff. I know, like, kind of how to, you know, work my way and find my way to, you know, easy baskets or how to defend them. Um, but as we got older, we didn't play we didn't play as much one on one because you know and those we, those are personal like you know like I'm not trying to lose he's not trying to lose mm. I'm coming back home pissed off for like maybe the three days and not talking for three days so it's good but you know I won most of those battles. All right, good to know that is absolutely noted. Charles Beriaco, by the way, if you don't know, he he helped Alabama reach the Sweet Sixteen last year and is now on a two way contract, right, Jaden? He's on a two way with the Spurs. And so that's good for him. Uh, so he's he's been called up to the big club a couple of times. Yeah, he recently got called up. Like later, I talked to him last night. He said, "Yeah, I have to drive back to San Antonio." Good. Well, we know our guy Mamu uh, is up there too. Uh, Sandro from uh, had a terrific career at Seton Hall, all Big East player. So so it's great. A couple Spurs connections to look for uh, for Pirate fans. Okay. So uh, question for you about playing defense at six foot ten. Jaden, explain the art of making a defensive switch onto a small guard. How you defend that guy without getting whistled for a foul? You guys switched. Everybody switched at Santa Clara, right? And you have to do that, I guess, sometimes here too. Tell me the art of doing that. Um, well, shout out to Santa Clara. You know, in my last two years there, especially my senior year, um, we wanted to play kind of a different style, and depending on teams and matchups, um, our coaches really drilled us into doing defensive drills a lot. And it just it just it starts in practice, you know, like closing out to a touch, you know, moving your feet, keeping the guy from going middle, and you just keep repping that. And you know, when you do it in a game, like it just comes almost natural. Just all I really do is just put my hand up and try to like force him going to the um, the sideline or away from the middle, and just keep him there, just keep moving my feet and stuff. And obviously, the defense will have to have rotation there just in case. But um. It just comes from being doing it just comes from doing it in practice and you feel confident in the game, you know. Um I do remember we played San Francisco. We played San Francisco, I know I remember vividly, we always switched one through five from San Francisco. And we were never like really burnt on it really. We won the first two matchups and then conference play. I don't know if everyone knows this, but last year in WCC uh, quarterfinals, it was like a I think it was one of the longest games maybe in college basketball like that year. We we went to three OTs in Las Vegas. Wow. Like 11 p.m. Pacific. So I know, I, like, I was getting calls like people, like, yo, it's like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. here. You guys just finished. And these, huh. long game. Sadly, we lost, but I remember um, switching onto Shabazz. I think he plays with the Long Island Nets now, the G League. Uh, blocked a couple of the shots and just staying in front of him, you know. And it's, you don't have to block the shot. You just got to really just contest or, you know, make it, like, make it miss. Just, you know, but it's tough at times, too, because sometimes, you know, craftier guards, you kind of pick silly fouls, you know, maybe just, you touch him or something like that, but um, right. I've been. It's I say I say it's a strength of mine um, to be able to switch, you know. But um, yeah, well, it's a it's a it's a it's a good it's a good thing to have, especially with the game the way the game's going. I know Shaw's been impressed by your ability to do that for sure. Appreciate that. 
Hey, Jane, you guys are 4-0, but the, the level of competition goes up exponentially now as you guys head to California. Um, talk about this opportunity this weekend, beginning with the USC game. Uh, always uh, heard this when I was at Santa Clara, you know, time to shock college basketball. I see that's our time to shock college basketball. Um, all four of these games we play, you know, those teams are all, like, good in their own right. But now, like you said, it's going to step up. Um, so we're playing, like, a – preseason a team that was a preseason top 25 and then we're playing some other um and then that tournament has some other high majors which is um good but chance to pick up some quality wins though you know being in this league and being you know a power six school you have so much chances to pick up like quad one and quad two wins to help your tournament resume so and it's gonna show how we are as a team too you know like how we are as a collective so just a great opportunity for everyone and that's what these four games are for you know like Obviously, to play, get used to each other, but also to like kind of like help us be in sync more because you can only do so much in practice. When you get to the game, it's a whole different story. So, this is the real. This is the first, you know, high major challenge we have. And from then on, I know December is going to be tough. To, and there's really some good mini majors in um, November, and then we get to conference play. It's you know, you guys know how it is. He has been here. It's it's a beast. So sure. Yeah, so. Thursday at USC uh, at 5.30 Eastern, so make sure you reserve some time amidst your Thanksgiving dinner fans, Seton Hall fans, to watch that game. And then it's Iowa and Oklahoma on the other side of the bracket. And in Jersey, we know how good Iowa is because they, they're in the Big Ten and they played Seton Hall last year and beat them and they beat Rutgers last year. So that's a really good tournament to look out for Thursday and Friday of Thanksgiving week. Okay, last question uh, last subject for me, Jaden. You have to have a minor in classics from Santa Clara. Uh, that is fascinating. And who is your favorite Greek god? Let's start with that. Oh, that's a good question. I'm more into the heroes than the gods, but right, give I'm... me a hero. Go ahead, give me a Greek hero that is your favorite. Okay, Achilles. Achilles, yeah, skilled with the arrow. Right, the bow and arrow, and also, of course, with the had to protect the Achilles heel. Why Achilles? Yeah, uh, well, just to correct you on that, uh, he's more of a sword fighter, but yeah, good with the bow and arrow. But he he got killed because of his heel. I like Achilles, just um, his whole background story. You know how his mom Thetis like bathed him, and like she forgot to bathe his heel, so he's he's an invincible warrior. But he goes to the Trojan War. That's a ten year long war. You know he's destroying everyone, like kicking everyone's butt and stuff, and then. One arrow, one arrow pieces his heel. And I'm like, damn, that's kind of a cool, but then a messed up way to go out, though. But I, I like it because it comes with the phrase to Achilles heel. But I think he's just a great, he's an awesome warrior in the Iliad. And, you know, it just, he could have more to offer. All right. Well, I, I appreciate the correction. I was thinking about the arrow in the heel when I said he's skilled with the arrow. So there you go. Let the record show the, uh, the Jaden knows his classics. And then my second question is, do you have a favorite? You mentioned the Iliad. Do you have a favorite uh, book from, from classic mythology? Is that the favorite or is there something else? Yeah, the Iliad. The Iliad um, is that the, the Iliad actually means uh, Troy story. That's what it really means. But yeah, the Iliad. And the thing with the Iliad, though, it's only um, it only focuses on the last year. It's a ten year war. It only focuses on the last year. So when I was learning in classics, um, the whole Iliad, like the Greeks told, they talked about it through tongues. So everyone kind of knew what happened prior to the actual story. They knew how the war started, how different heroes got involved, what happened maybe year five of the war, year six. The Iliad really only talks about the last year of the war. When, you know, the Greeks are like, they'll struggle to take over Troy, the Trojan horse, certain heroes dying, and then 
the collapse of Troy. So, but yeah, the Iliad for sure. The Iliad for sure. There's other great stories too, but the Iliad has to be like the one. It has to be. It's like the be all end all, and it's great. I like the name. It's like Troy story. That's what it really is. <laughs> I like the Odyssey myself, and uh, also staying with Homer. Well, I hope you have you have had quite the Odyssey in basketball and in life, Jade. And I hope that continues in a positive way for you. And when you go out there to uh, San Diego this week, perhaps the Pirates will spring a Trojan horse on the USC Trojans. How about that? That's a good, yeah, that's a good way you use that. That's a great way. You know, All right. You know, it's actually funny, too. Um, I remember last year, Michigan State played USC, and I was talking about, oh, the Spartans beat the Trojans. It's not, it's not a coincidence. And someone's and I'm, someone's like, oh, yeah, Tro- the Trojan War. I'm like, oh, my God, look at that. I like how you use that, though. Like All right, you, you use that in a pep talk, and you don't even have to give me credit. Jaden Bediaco, Seton Hall Center, fascinating guy, good addition for the Pirates. Thank you for joining us on Jersey Jump Shot. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Now, what All right, other Steve? college basketball podcast are you going to get that kind of discussion on, Jer? None. Zero. Only one. Only Jersey jump shot. And I, I learned something today, too, about Achilles. I love it. Boy, that was great. Great stuff. All right. We'll see if we can work the Trojan horse into our into my summary on their game Thursday uh, in the midst of my turkey dinner as I hold off on the vino until after we post the article. So good stuff. All right. Now, uh, again, super thank you for to Jaden Bediakov, Seton Hall, for joining us. Steve, we do have a lot of ground to cover here. Uh Let's just start right with the game that, you know, you covered on Saturday, really the most consequential game in, in New Jersey college basketball. And, and that was uh, Princeton going to West Long Branch and beating Monmouth. Tell me your impressions of the game and of how both teams fared in that. It seems like it was a, it was really good statement win for Princeton, but Monmouth put up a good showing. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it was a good win, you know, again, on the road for Princeton against a team that was coming off a high major win, you know, against West Virginia. So, you know, they, they clearly, Monmouth had shown a little bit of ability. Um, Princeton, you know, again, when push came to shove late in the game, they really, you know, they opened it up and they, they got it to 25 at the end, but it was a close game throughout. So I think it was a good test for Princeton. They just have so many weapons and so many guys who are matchup problems. I mean, Caden, Caden uh, Pierce had a double double, twenty and ten. You know he's hard to handle inside. He's he's a tough guy, and you know they they got Zach Martini stepping out and draining threes. Uh, Matt Alaco did what he had to do. He was six of eight, four of five from downtown. You know, just one of those games where probably if he needed to do more, he would have. You know, so uh, I mean that that's kind of the take on Princeton. They're they're heading. I think just a pretty high place this year. And, uh, you know, this was another step along that road. You know, as for Mammoth, again, Mammoth is a young team. You know, Mammoth, Mammoth's top eight guys in the rotation, three freshmen and a sophomore. So what you've gotten from them early this year has been pretty good. You know, they, they basically played a four and one George Mason team even over the last 32 minutes of that game. They went in and beat West Virginia by eight points on the road. And against Princeton, with less than eight minutes to go, they were down nine. That's a decent run for that team. That's about 80 minutes of sustained, pretty good run for a young team, Mamet. So I think they've shown potential. Um, you know, 
they can't handle Princeton. They're not going to be able to handle teams like that. But again, I think it was a good Central Jersey showdown, and and a, it was a pretty good game throughout. All right, good stuff, Steve. Good summary. Uh, thank you. Wanted to to uh, chime in real quick about uh, my Associated Press top twenty-five ballot this week. Speaking of Princeton, I put the Tigers in there. I voted the Tigers twenty-fifth. I don't think I'll be the only voter to do that. Uh, I think they will get multiple votes. And here's why, Steve. My rationale is twofold. One is, well, threefold. One is you have five of the eight rotation guys back from a team that made the Sweet 16. Two is they're the only undefeated team left in college basketball as of this recording on Monday who has not played a home game yet. They've won three road games against good mid-majors and have beaten Rutgers, a Big Ten team, on a neutral court. And had Rutgers at arm's length much of that game, I might add. Uh, and the threefold is the third thing is they they pass the eye test. And when the while the metrics still are like we don't fully have a full metrics picture because it's early, you got to really look at the eye test and like Princeton looks the part, Steve. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I think they definitely have to be in the conversation for top ten, uh, top twenty-five. There's no question about it. When you look at their resume this year, you look at what they did last year, and the guys they have coming back. I mean, this—they're going to give anybody trouble. Yeah. I mean, they—they re- they really are. My plea to my fellow voters in my b- ballot this week, which I posted, was like, just stop obsessing about what league teams are in, and right. and look at what they've done and how they're playing, and so. But I do think the Ivy League could be – I mean, maybe it, the metrics kind of – the way it's set up kind of hurts them, but maybe it's a two-bid league. They're certainly good enough. They certainly have two teams worthy in Princeton and Yale at this point of making the NCAA tournament. It's early yet, but, I mean, these teams are really good. So I voted for Princeton. We'll see how many votes they get, but they're deserving of it. And, you know, this week another big test, road game number five or, or away from home number five at Old Dominion Wednesday, a team that won – 19 games last year uh, and, you know, has all, gave Arkansas a hard time out there last week. So, and then they're home for their home opener against Northeastern Saturday. I hope they get a nice crowd. I know students are on break, but Mitch Henderson had a great line to you, Steve. He said, I should fire the schedule maker for all these road games. Well, the schedule maker's him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Hey, listen, I think just in talking to him after the Monmouth game, I mean, I think he's even surprised at how well this team has played early on. You know, I think he thought it might take a little bit of time, but you know, they they've been impressive so far. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks how they finish out the the non conference schedule. Tell me what Monmouth has coming up. I know there's a three game uh, in three days at the Palestra, the Cathedral of College of Basketball. What's their week look like? Well, you know, listen, they open up with Belmont, who's who's pretty good. You know, then they play Lafayette, and then uh, really they close it out on Sunday against Penn. Um, one of three Ivy League teams Monmouth has to play this non-conference schedule, and this is not a good year to be playing three Ivy League teams. You know, I mean, Penn's already got a win over Villanova. Yeah, they already played Princeton. I mean, it, so um, it's a pretty tough weekend, but I think it's a it's a weekend where they could win a couple games and uh, you know and kind of grow as a team for sure. Right. And the nice thing about the way King Rice has scheduled and Mitch Henderson, too, is that there is less. There's These are more learning experiences for them. What counts for them is what they do in their conference tournament. Uh, so really, why not? Why not play these these tests, these tough tests at a conference? And so good for them for doing that. That's fun. All right. Let's talk about Rutgers uh, and then we'll get to Seton Hall and a little bit a little bit on FDU and the St. Peter's, which had a really good game last week. 
So for Rutgers, I saw them twice this past week, Steve. They beat Georgetown. Look, Georgetown's really down. They're starting over. Uh, but Rutgers looked really good in that game. They they handled them in the second half pretty convincingly. And, uh, you know, then they came back on Saturday and, and took care of business against Howard, which is not a bad team. And I think at least as good as Georgetown. Uh, so two good wins. The big takeaway for me, and there's some other things I want to discuss here, but the big takeaway for me from Rutgers is that their backcourt really played well, which hadn't been the case through the first couple games. Derek Simpson, who we've talked about a lot, you know, Mount Laurel's own Lenape High School grad. Derek Simpson was spectacular in those two games. Really, really good shooting, handling defensively. Uh, we all thought this would be a breakout year for the sophomore guard, and that appears to be happening now. So uh, good for him and for Rutgers. A couple of things I wanted to ask you about, Steve, uh, and that is, you know, you've been many times, you've been to to the rack, now Jersey Mike's Arena. There was a survey that was sent out from the athletic department to season ticket holders last week asking them about potential changes. There's a big renovation coming up. Uh, you know, I think they should tread really carefully. What do you think? Um, you, you know, we have some really nice arenas in New Jersey. You've, you've been to state-of-the-art one at Monmouth. Uh, what do you think Rutgers should do in terms of handling a rack renovation? How do you feel about that? Well, I, I agree with you. I think you have to tread carefully here because you can't you can't ruin the vibe in that building. You can't ruin the atmosphere, the noise level. Um, that I mean, talk about a sixth man. That's one of the best advantages in college basketball. I, I, so I think whatever they do, and listen, I'm all for spiffing up the place a little, uh, yeah. but you know, you, you somehow you have to maintain the integrity of that home court advantage that Rutgers has in the rack. I, I mean, that's one of the biggest advantages in college basketball. Yeah, they won't touch the ceiling or the shape of the building because that's a lot of the noise, a lot of what keeps the noise in, you know, the steepness of it, the flat top. Uh, but you do wonder if they blow out, like, make the concourse walls and make it bigger, if they'll lose some of that sound wall, if they move the students from that big, that huge uh, baseline seating area, if they move them to side court, does that change the sound or the effect on the court, uh, the, the impact that has on visiting teams? So I – I've had this discussion with Steve Peichel a lot. I gave him a chance to, you know, address it after the game because the Howard, Steve, they had that place was packed and it was rocking for Howard in November. Like it was loud in there. It sounded like February against, you know, Purdue. Uh, and that says a lot about Rutgers fans and the program Steve has built, but also just how great that building is. And so, like, I, I know Steve feels this way too. And he wants to be, you know, he wants to obviously measure his words when he says it, but. You, you gotta you have you have to do some upgrades, but you gotta you gotta keep the integrity of that place and its grittiness is the integrity. Like you don't go there to lounge, you go there to watch a basketball game. And so, you know, do they want to create an open concourse with like drinks and couches and stuff? I don't know because you know if you go to a Seton Hall game at the Rock, a lot of people are hanging out in those bars in the concourse and not in the seats. Do you really want that at Rutgers? Like you want those people in the seats right on top of the court. So yeah, add more bathrooms, but I think I think they should proceed with extreme caution on renovating that place. And I know Steve Peichel agrees, and he's you know he's not in charge of revenue creation. Obviously, that's a big thing, but he, I know he agrees. So we'll see what happens with that. Two more Rutgers-related things I want to address real quick. Uh, Rutgers is a nine-day break. They have not competed in a Feast Week tournament since Steve Peichel took the job. You know, so they have a nine-day break until St. Peter's comes in on the twenty-seventh. 
Uh, I'm kind of bummed, Steve. Like everyone's gonna, you know, we're gonna watch a lot of college basketball this week, but no Rutgers. And then next year, Rutgers bringing this big recruiting class. There's gonna be high demand for them to be in these big time tournaments. Will they finally change it up and play on Feast Week? You hope that they do. Well, I'm curious now. What what is his rationale? Have you asked him about that? What is yeah? We spoke, we talked about it over the years, and I, we talked about it again after the game Saturday. Like he he. He's always like he, he's felt this is he wants players to spend time with their families, which is noble, of course. And he's he's always given them time off over Christmas, which is he's huge and totally appropriate. Uh, this should not be college basketball on Christmas. You have to, have to give these these athletes a break, student athletes a break. But but the the uh, Thanksgiving thing has become kind of a basketball holiday in a way. Obviously, football first. Uh, so his other thing is he wants them to rest. And maybe this year that helps them because they have injured players, Mawat Mag, Austin Williams, two guys with knee injuries in the back, in the backcourt and, and in the wing who, who they need. So maybe this year it helps them. But, yeah, you'd like to see them change that going forward. Uh, the other thing I wanted to just mention that I'm sure you saw Ed Cooley's viral clip coming out of the uh, the Georgetown game where he, he, he basically is uh, lecturing, uh, preaching to young reporters in the room to ask a question and don't just sit there. Don't just sit there when you have the privilege of being in the room in a post game. Steve, did you catch that? It was pretty wild. That thing went that I went viral. Did not catch that, but it sounds good. Yeah, it was crazy. And so, you know, I think Ed was disappointed. Like no one had questions for his players. You know, it's, I mean, it wasn't much Georgetown media there. Normally, it's it's you 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 know, Rutgers media would want Rutgers players. Uh, but it was it was bizarre. So I do think as a as a professor, as a journalism professor. Ed had the right message. Like I tell that to my students too. You're in the room, listen and ask questions. You know, you've watched the game, listen to what's being said, uh, generate some conversation. So I do think he was right. Totally right. It's just the way he like commanded it. It was like he was yelling at one of his players for missing, you know, you're missing a screen or something, you know? So it was a little weird vibe, but uh, fascinating. And I guess the bottom line is it's still, People still care. Like these post games can still matter, even though everything's televised and social media. You can still accomplish something in a post game press conference. That was kind of the takeaway. All right, moving on to Seton Hall. Uh, you know they they're four and zero. We talked about this a little bit. USC this week to me one and one. Steve would be a huge thing for them if they get out of there with a win over either USC, Iowa, or Oklahoma. One win, and you know they'll be in in very good shape. That's a resume building win. The metrics say. That Seton Hall is the is the worst team in the tournament. If you go by Ken Palm, uh, I don't think that's true. I think Oklahoma probably has the the most to prove, even though they have the highest Ken Palm. They've routed four low majors, and then you know we're not very good last year. So I think it's I would order it USC as the favorite. They got a lot of talent. They do have some injuries. They're home or more or less home, uh, and then I would say Iowa is probably next. They gave Creighton a hard time out in Omaha, which, you know, is very difficult to do. And it's a really well-run program that scores a lot of points. I would put Seton Hall third in the pecking order and Oklahoma fourth. What do you think one and one would move the needle for them probably? Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get out of here at one and one, you, you would take that. I mean, I, I just think we're going to learn a lot about this Seton Hall team right now. You know, you're getting on a plane, you're going to the opposite coast, you're going to play some tough teams for the first time. You know, I, I mean, listen, there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve here for this group, 
but I, I think you're going to have to play games like this to get ready for, for Big East play. And now we're going to find something out about this group. And as you said, USC is loaded. You know, I mean, they, they've got a freshman averaging 21 points a game. You know, they, they've yeah. got a first team all Pac-12, you know, averaging 21 a game. It's going to be a really tough, tough spot out there for them. What's interesting for Seton Hall, for me, as someone who watches the team so closely, is that the two games in two days is be, with a team that has really not proven its depth, you know. Uh, so Seton Hall, we know their five starters are good. We thought at the beginning of the year they had four Big East quality guys. I think Jaden Bediaco, he looks like he's heading in that direction. So that's five guys you can rely on in the starting lineup. The question is, and when you play two games in two days, you need a bench. You absolutely need a bench. And so – Shaheen Holloway tried to take advantage of them winning comfortably the last few games by getting his reserves a lot of time. Uh, how will they fare when the competition steps up? Really like what I saw out of Isaiah Coleman, who is a freshman uh, wing type of player who played really well these last two games, has a nose for the basket, is a good athlete, rebounds well, handles pretty well. He's a slasher type of guy. He's not, he's not a jump shooter at this point but it seems like he could fit into their scheme and provide pop off the bench. They're going to need him. Can he continue to contribute when the competition steps up in class? I'll be looking for that this weekend. Uh, Jaquan Sanders, they need him, Steve, Jaquan Sanders, because like right now the only guy reliable three-point shooter they have is Al Dawes, but you know Dawes is very streaky and it's just one guy. So they're shooting 31% as a team seat in the hall, and they're getting good looks because they're moving the ball well. Like, They've shared the ball much better than last year. Kadari Richmond's is playing at such a high level. Uh, you know, Al Dawes is, is the guy they're relying on to hit those threes. He's shooting 38%. But, like, other guys have to either help him or Jaquan Sanders, who he's kind of that guy. Like, he's the sharpshooter off the bench. He's been hurt in the preseason, but he looks like he's better now with his ankle sprain. Like, they don't need him to do a ton, but he's got to come in and make a three or two a three-pointer or two and sort of loosen up the D and relieve some some of that perimeter pressure. Uh, and so that's something I'll be looking for this week too. Really interesting to see how legit the Pirates are. I do. I have no idea. I really don't know. I, I could make a case either way. They're, 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 they're good, better than we thought, or you know they haven't played anybody, they haven't done anything yet. So we'll see how that checks out. I wanted to mention also, Steve, just briefly and, and – one thing that happened Saturday, I know it got a lot. It was got a lot of airtime from Fox. It was replayed on a loop that that uh, Shaheen Holloway and Wagner coach Donald Copeland had a contentious handshake after the game. You know, these are both Seton Hall guys, uh, former All Big East guards for the Pirates. Shaw is, I think, six years older than than Cope, but they both were assistants at Seton Hall. They're you know they're part of that group of five Seton Hall former players who are Division One head coaches now, which is a great source of pride in the program. Only Duke has more. That's a great source of pride. But you saw after the game, there was sort of a contentious handshake and an argument, uh, and you know there was some some questions about Wagner pressing and fouling late in the game, and it just didn't look good. It was a bad look. You know, it kept getting replayed on Fox. I thought both coaches addressed it really well in the post game. They both apologized. They both were contrite. Uh, they both said how much they respected the other. And like to me, knowing both of them well, uh, I know they meant it. And I, I followed up with both coaches, you know, after the game and after the press conference. And I know they both felt really bad about what happened. And they really both meant that apology. And so that's another thing. The the post game served that purpose, right? They were able to air that out 
and sort of say this is what happened and why and how how I felt about it. And I, you know, it was mistaken on my part. So that was good, but it was just a, a bad optic that you'd, you'd rather not see, right? So that's something that was talked about on Saturday. I wanted to just follow up on that. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's unfortunate. But listen, we see this every year. I mean, the handshake line, you know, it's an emotional thing in the, in the yeah. immediate aftermath of a game. You know, things can happen there. Uh, it's unfortunate, but you see it with players, you see it with coaches. Um, it's unfortunate it had to happen, you know, between two Seton Hall guys at the end of this game. But Yeah, and those guys get along. I mean, they're, they're friends. They get along. They respect each other. So it was really weird. And uh, a lot of people were asking me about it, like text, getting text calls, uh, you know, I was, I spoke at the, the booster club dinner after the game. It was like the second question was asked about it. So I think, you know, it's put to bed now. Uh, I want to just follow up and, and tell, and just explain how I do think those apologies were sincere. And maybe there's a teaching lesson in there for the players. Uh, but yeah, handshake lines can, that can happen, but you, there's no reason to throw them out. I mean, the sportsmanship is important. And so that's kind of the takeaway from that. All right, Steve, moving on to the last thing here, long show today, but a lot to discuss, uh, FDU and St. Peter's. And listen, one of us probably would have been there if we weren't so busy with everything else this week. But FDU, their first game on the Yes Network. And what a way to open that, yeah, that contract. Yeah. They beat St. Peter's by one. This They jammed 2,000 people into the Rothman Center. It's apparently it's a circus in there, which is great. And uh, FDU, Devontae Jamison, who's a post-grad point guard, he's their new point guard. He goes to the line down one with two seconds left and makes both free throws. To win the game. How about that, Steve? Ice water. I tell you what, that that's impressive. And, and listen, that, that after they just hit a, a, a triple to take the lead on you, you come back down and you hit two free throws to win it with two seconds left. Uh, great game. And as you said, you know, a lot of people got to see it on SNY. So, you know, really four and one start for FDU. Really nice. Really a nice a nice way to follow up on, on the heroics in the NCAA tournament last year. Yeah, when I went up there to see them practice in October, I said, who should I look for here that I don't know? And uh, several people said Devontae Jameson. And that, there you go. And he's only 5'8", but like FDU has had the success now with small guards, and he's the next one. And so good for him. Tough loss for St. Peter's. We know they're pretty good, though. And they will be at Rutgers on Monday the 27th. Not an easy game uh, for Rutgers. You know, they're going to have to play. Uh, and I wonder. I do wonder if Mawat Mag – will make his comeback and try to get some rust off. He did warm up in full against uh, Howard on Saturday. I wonder if he will come back, try to log a few minutes off the bench before they open the Big Ten slate against Illinois at home. I think it's possible something to look for. Steve, never a dull moment around here, man. <laughs> it's a busy, busy week and a, and a good show. Yeah, so I hope uh, ev everyone has a great Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Enjoy the, of course, enjoy the football, but you know, this is a basketball show. So make sure you find time for some feast week hoops. We'll break it all down uh, with the leftovers when we meet again next week. Again, Jersey jump shot. Thanks for being with us. Have a great holiday and we'll see you in a week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.